Fan fiction, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Retro Fanfic Retrospective. It's five-year mission to dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2019. My name is Amato, and with me on the bridge are... Lieutenant Tori. Ensign CJ. I felt momentarily bad for reusing our opening from our last Star Trek original series episode, but then I remembered... You do the opening Star Trek crawl in every episode of mm-hmm. Star Trek. Like, that's the point. <laughs> it's you don't totally just do it once. And, like, even when you're re-watching the episodes, it's not like you just skip that. You know, it's well, like an integral it's not part of the watching experience. Skipping. No, it's an integral part of the watching experience. It is. Motto. It really is. It's my, it might sometimes be my favorite part of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the one from Next Gen is definitely my favorite. I've been re-watching Next Gen recently, so. I don't remember the Next Gen opening it's words. Just, Patrick Stewart saying almost exactly the same thing, except yeah. it's its continuing mission. So exactly. it's better because it's Patrick Stewart. Yes. yes. Right. And continuing. So is this like, a, is this a five-year podcast or is this a <laughs> continuing podcast? <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking when Amato said that. Just curious. Mm. I think a five-year podcast is actually a pretty decent thing to aim for, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got one year down already. You know... On the one sense, it's it's a good goal. On the other sense, it might be a big commitment. <laughs> well, you know, something might happen to us. Yeah. Also, we don't want to limit ourselves. What if we want to do this podcast for 25 years? Oh, God, I'm a red shirt, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're a guest star. Yeah. Like oh, okay. Star Trek also had plenty of. That, that makes me feel better. <laughs> One of those reoccurring characters that they could like sometimes get on when the actor wasn't busy with other stuff. Right. Like that Klingon who shows up in the fanfic here. What's his name? Core. Core, yeah. Like they wanted more Core. They just couldn't get him on the show apparently. I guess mm. not. Because he was busy with other things. Who was another recurring character uh, in the original series? Do Spock's parents show up? repeatedly i don't remember Maybe. that's a good question i feel like his mother might yeah mm-hmm. but i don't recall i know she shows up in the movie oh well that's something so, um at least one of the movies there's definitely like a lot of guest actors that were important but it eludes me all right well as you may have gathered listeners from the title and also the opening we're doing a star trek the original series uh, story today, and it's got a lot of interesting background. The background is almost as interesting as the story itself, really. But before we get into that, CJ, what's your background with Star Trek, the original series in particular? Well, I have to admit, I am uh, not super familiar with the Star Trek fandom. I have watched, I think, almost all of the original series. Um, I mean, that's quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, it was a little while ago. Um, and then my husband and I are watching a list of the top 30. So some random list we found on the internet of somebody's top 30 from Next Gen. So we're watching those. They're quite good. We're in season five right now. So to interrupt, mm-hmm. out of those top 30 episodes you've been watching, what's currently your top Star Trek the Next Generation episode. Easy. Who watches The Watchers? What's that one? I don't remember. Uh, they go down and try and help a uh, scientific outpost that's having trouble. At, and this outpost is watching this primitive 
Vulcan-like race as they are developing, and there is basically an anthropological study. Okay. But their like hidden base explodes, and they're like open to being seen by these people, and you know, uh, ruining the prime directive on the planet. So they go down, and hijinks ensue. <laughs> so. Well, we wouldn't want to, you know, break the prime directive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of terrible captain would do that ever? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Ever at all. I've seen a few, I've seen, I think, two original series cast movies. Definitely the one with the humpback whales. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is that was amazing. Four. We <laughs> talked about that before on this podcast. Okay. That particular film. Definitely love it. I yep. love most campy things, so I definitely love that one. That's a great one. And then uh, that is it. That's it. That's all. Okay. I oh, no, no. I've seen the, uh, the new movies, I guess. I yeah. saw the second new movie and not the first. Or the one after that. Saw the first new movie and not the second, so. Okay. Well, the second one had Khan, so. Right. But it was Benedict Cumberbatch, so I wasn't wasn't sure I felt about that. Not the same. Just not the same. (laughs) Yeah. We went over our background in our first original series episode, but basically, like, neither of us is a diehard original series fan. I've probably seen the least, um, but I saw you know, trek in the park when they were doing it in Portland, which was great. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And oh. I, I've seen most of the original series. It's just not my favorite. So. Right, right. I mean, you know, but actually reading this fanfic um, and watching, you know, what we will discuss, the fan episode made from this fanfic, made me want to watch more original series. I remember, like, how revolutionary it was for the time. Yeah, yeah. I really have come to appreciate it in context. It was mm-hmm. quite a groundbreaking show, which is why it's still so loved. Yeah, and the Star Trek original series fandom is just, you mm-hmm. know, crazy in terms of how big they were, how prolific and organized, and, you know, how much good stuff they produced. And on that note, let's introduce the story of it. It's called The Mind Sifter. It's a very well-known early piece of Star Trek fan fiction. Um, and it's by... Someone who's very important, whose name I've never heard out loud. What do you two think? Shirley... Mayuski. Mayuski, you think? Yes. Mayuski. Shirley Mayuski, the grandmother of Trek, or just Grandma Trek sometimes, who was very important in the fandom. Because among... It seems like the main thing that she did was that she headed up the Star Trek Well Committee for a long time. She was like the third uh, moderator person in charge of that, but was probably active before that. The Star Trek Well Committee was active from 1972 to 1977 when Shirley Mayuski Mayuski Grandma Trek Trek realized that it was no longer necessary with the internet because it was a, you know, fan newsletter that went out to, like, let people know about events and about publications of fanzines and about news about the series and all that kind of stuff that you could not get readily without something like that before the internet. So she's a big deal. She's also uh, sadly departed some Rest time ago. Peace. Yep. You wrote some really good fan fiction. She wrote one piece of she, really good fan fiction. She was a good writer. It, this is the only thing I've read of hers. This but... is the only thing she wrote for Star Trek, and we're going to get into that, mm. you know. Or if that's not true, it was the last thing she wrote and the only famous one. I guess I can't confirm that it's the only thing. She published this. It came out in the zine Showcase, number two, in 1975. You know, it's a fanfic in a fanzine. Awesome. That's pretty normal. 
What's not normal was this thing called the New Voyages. Did you two read the background on this, like, that I linked to you two on fan lore? I skimmed. Okay. I did, yeah. Well, correct me if I'm not getting the outline right, but after this book called Star Trek Lives, which was about the fandom of Star Trek, there was some interest in publishing basically published fan fiction. Mm -hmm. At least the first volume of this two-book series, Star Trek The New Voyages, was mostly drawn from fiction published by the fans Mm -hmm. that was basically, uh, you know, the rights owners bought the rights to publish and published actually in a book. And then that was a big deal because that ended up being a lot of people's first exposure to the idea of fan fiction or like reading, you know, stuff written by fans about Star Trek because there was a great thirst for Star Trek content. Mm -hmm. So far, so good, right? This was Mm -hmm. one of the stories pulled for that. But apparently the two people who were the editors, um, the editors for this anthology, edited the stories that they got the rights to, edited these fan works without permission or telling the fan authors that they were going to do that. Right, didn't consult them at all. And Grandma Shrek in particular was pretty pissed off about it. And apparently it's partly due to her influence that the series didn't get a third book because people just kind of stopped submitting things to them because, you know, she thought that it was, like, really ill-treating and disrespectful to, like, the fans and the fandom, which is definitely true, you know? If you're republishing in a book stories that are well-known in magazines... Right. ...and you are changing things in them... Yeah, you're going to get some backlash. Well, especially it, from the authors who deserve the right to to, you know, have a say in it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the say that's the important thing, right? Right. If, like having an editor, it's perfectly normal for them to like request changes to the story or make changes to the story, but when you're going to the authors, you'd be like, "Hey, we're interested in publishing this. We would make some edits though." Right. Like right. you wouldn't say like, "Hey, we're going to publish this and then let them find out about the edits later." Exactly. Yeah. If you write a story for a newspaper or a magazine, you're pretty much subject to the whims of your editor. You know, when I submit this my editor might tear it apart and republish it like totally different or whatever but they didn't know that this was ever going to happen that's like yeah that's the crazy part at the end of the day it was unprofessional yeah well one of the editors was an objectivist so maybe she just thought that you know it was the right of the (laughs) the all-knowing editors to um you know take the weak products and do whatever (laughs) they want with them that is a rabbit hole we don't have time to go down (laughs) Uh, I mean, they have the legal rights, so there you go. Yeah. Objectivist ethics fulfilled? I don't know. I don't really <laughs> yeah. understand what's good and what's bad in objectivism. It depends so. on what you think. <laughs> Wait, what? It depends on what the individual thinks. Right, there oh, you go. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll step away from that. Uh, so anyway, that's basically the deal with Mindsifter. But because it was published in this book, it's also a much better known piece than a lot of fan fiction is. Right. And mm-hmm. um, some people prefer the edited version and a lot of people prefer the original version. We are reading the original version because I think once it is edited and published by the rights holders, it is no longer actually fan fiction. It's just a piece of fiction that they published. Mm-hmm. I think that passes. I mean, I can agree it, with that. if they hadn't edited it, I would say like, sure, it's just them publishing fan fiction. But once you kind of get official rights holders shaping what goes into it, I think it passes beyond my definition. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) The other cool thing is that much, much later, this fan film series 
called Star Trek Phase 2, but it was previously also known as Star Trek New Voyages, taking its title from those anthologies. Anyway, you know, it's people making fan episodes of Mm -hmm. original series. And they did an adaptation of this, Mm -hmm. which you can find online on YouTube in a couple of different versions. Tori, you said you think you watched the one with the modern special effects, right? And I was watching the one with the classic, like, original series-style visuals. I think I watched the one Amato watched. Mm -hmm. I'm honestly not sure, because it definitely seemed like in order to do what they did, they would need to do it digitally, but it looked like the old series to me. So I don't know if they... Are you referring to the scenes with the Enterprise in space? Yeah. Okay. Well, then maybe I watched the version you watched. (laughs) I don't know. To me, it looked like the old series. It's just it was pretty clear that they must have used some digital editing or it would have just taken them too much time. Like I I assumed that they borrowed that from mm. an actual episode or episodes of a published, like real Star Trek episode and I, put it into their fan. Uh, I thought that at first video. too. And then I kind of had to rewatch and be like no, this doesn't look quite the same. And I, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not 100% sure on this, but then when I saw how much quality went into their sets and their backgrounds, I was like, I totally believe they could have done all of this. So I definitely yeah. have a lot to say about that. But We should know, come yeah. back to it after we talk about this story to begin with, I think. But just while we're talking about the history of the story, they did, you know, I think go to uh, Grandma Trek's family and get permission. Apparently her grandson is in that episode as really? like a red shirt in the background or something, <laughs> like nice. walking down the halls. Uh, so it's all very cool. And it's like dedicated to her at the very beginning of the episode. You can tell it was made with a lot of love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and we'll get to it, but it was, it's a really crazy good adaptation. I thought so, too, though I didn't mm-hmm. finish it. I only watched about half. I ran out of time, Me and too. I watched about two-thirds, yeah. We've got children, which dominate all time. Indeed. And sound space. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's also true. I have no children, just a just one very fluffy child who's a dog. Canine child. Yes, canine child. So my my time is better spent watching fan versions of <laughs> Star Trek fan fiction. You can tell us how it ends then. I will, yeah. All right, well, let's jump into the story then. It's called, again, Mind Sifter. And you can find a copy of it on this website, simgen.com. Uh, but don't worry about it. Our link there is bit.ly slash rfrmind. One of you want to talk us into the fanfic with how it starts out? My first impression, well, it begins with uh, someone, Mm. we don't know who, who's very confused and afraid, wandering through the dark, slowly feeling and sensing his, her, or their surroundings. And uh, <laughs> and it's actually written, I think, uh, very much in the style of Will- the way William Shatner would act. <laughs> there are a lot of ellipses, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, a like, lot, for example, yeah. a voice. It stopped him. Short of the corner. <laughs> Careful. Careful. Danger. <laughs> and I immediately knew it was <laughs> Captain Kirk. <laughs> That's um, how everything goes on in Captain Kirk's head as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we find out that he's currently being called Jimmy mm-hmm. by the people who are, well, one of the people who are handling him, that he has escaped from somewhere and is down in a basement 
and the people are waiting him out, um, waiting until he gets too hungry to stay downstairs and come up. Um, and he's afraid of everyone but one person, a woman, this person mm-hmm. who's calling him Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, by the end of the scene, it's pretty, you get the broad strokes of what's going on. So he's in some sort of psychiatric care. Mm-hmm. Care is a strong word because the orderlies are physically abusive. Um, yeah. It's very one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I was going to say. It is, yeah. yeah. And then we have a nurse, Hamlin, Hamlin pardon. Who is at least a, an improvement over Nurse Ratchet. She's this very sympathetic character. So basically she tries to defend him from the orderlies pretty early on. And that's kind of how our our things shake out. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know why he's there. And she kind of tries to break it to him about like, yeah, there's something going on in your mind. He -hmm. has some form of amnesia, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And it becomes apparent quite soon that he has been there for about a year. Um. At this point, I think it says six months. Six months, She right. thought back to the day he'd been brought in, six months before. But more time is going to pass in this fanfic. Like, right. the time scale is pretty broad. It is. More than one might expect. And yeah, it's just some policeman brought him in. He was wearing his weird, you know, yellow shirt with some strange insignia. Because the year is not specified. I think it's 1954. Yeah, later on it'll be specified. It's like 54. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but you do kind of, I think from the kind of one flew over the cuckoo's nest tone of how the orderlies treat the patients get the impression that this is an old earth psychiatric hospital in which people are treated, who are mentally ill, are treated very poorly and treated also as like non-human. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because they talk about his sick mind, but they never specify a diagnosis or like <laughs> what the heck's going on. You definitely kind of get the flavor of of where he and when he might be i think at some point it's mentioned that uh the doctors in charge of him have at some point proposed a lot of diagnoses right yes but they were never able to really land Mm -hmm. on one Mm -hmm. yeah and they also mentioned that he is originally admitted as a john doe but then eventually he stated his name so he became james doe i don't think he says james he does Does say james okay right and speaking of names, we kind of have a series of scenes here with mostly Kirk, Jimmy, Jim, and this nurse, Jan, is mm-hmm. how she's usually referred to. Yes. Like, there's a series of things. At one point, he's confused about the, the corridors he's moving through. He's like, why aren't these corridors curving? They should be curving. They should be, like, white and curving. And she kind of manages to... She picks up a few details about him. She's been calling him Jimmy, but at one point he corrects her. He says, it's Jim. Mm-hmm. And so she starts calling him Jim. When, yeah. he, when he starts to get better. He's, yeah. yeah, he's starting to kind of orient himself a little bit over the course of right. this first part of the story. Right. And there is, yeah, kind of like a significant scene of like him seeming to get better. And this, a lot of this comes from uh, Jan Hamlin's perspective. So we get like her being like, oh, it's like he seems like he has a lot more clarity now. Like, I, And so she, when she recognizes that, she's like, I'm going to take him outside. Mm-hmm. And she takes him outside for a walk. And I think that's around where an alarm sounds, and that's when the corridor thing happens. It's, he's like, red alert, red alert, I have to get to the bridge. And then he walks out into a hallway and gets very confused. Well, the corridor thing's earlier. Or, the, no, the, you're the right. The order doesn't the, really yeah, matter. The order doesn't, doesn't matter too much. It's he, a little convoluted. He basically comes back to himself and jumps and starts. And yeah. at different points, is uh, he regresses and 
he definitely uh, is not of right mind. My favorite part there, I, I don't know why I liked it in particular, but like he can't remember anything actively, but sometimes just like he'll, you know, when he's not thinking about things, he'll mention something specific to his life. At yeah. one point, she gives him a cup of hot coffee. Mm-hmm. He picked up the cup and carefully tasted the steaming liquid. A smile lit on his face. Good, he said. That's how I like it. You programmed the selector just right, Jan. I, I what, Jim? <laughs> I said, you programmed the selector just the way I like my coffee. And again, he drank from the cup deeply this time. And she's just like, oh, yeah, because she doesn't want to push this point or right. anything. Yeah, it, it basically, she, there's just a lot of relationship developing between them in her kindness for him. It, you know, helps that he's handsome and mm-hmm. the orderlies call him Superman. Because he's like so fit, or at least he was well, when he first came in. And because of the outfit he was wearing, oh, mm-hmm. right. which was like a, a one piece. Well, they say in this, I guess that it, it was two pieces in original piece, series. Strange yeah. material. Yeah. yeah. Gold the shirt, thing, yeah. Gold the shirt. synthetic pants yeah. and the boots. Yeah, That's right. I was thinking of next gen where the outfits are like unitards for no reason, <laughs> like jumpsuits. Anyway. Yeah. So the series of scenes, which are not really divided by scene markers, is just kind of like, you know, going from incident or like day to another it ends with her eventually like kind of having to say goodbye for the night and you know locking him in his room um finally he was alone he lay on his back staring at the window at the foot of the bed a window covered with a heavy webbing of bars it was getting dark outside the light in the room had been extinguished only a dim light trickled in through the small window in the door so he could see outside It grew darker and darker, and the stars began to gleam, one by one. It was a cool, clear night. Before long, the night sky was awash with brilliant stars. While he lay there looking at them, something moved, a late plane at a great height, only a pinpoint of light. He watched it, only his eyes moving, until it was gone. A sob grew in him, a line of tears formed and ran down the side of his face. His lips moved silently, then words formed. Spock? Spock? It was only a whisper. Help me? Please, help me. Finally, he slept. And I thought that was, you know, a poignant moment where, like, mm-hmm. he's looking out at the stars, which is where he spends his life and career, and, you know, mm-hmm. just the the in- indication of something moving up there, you know, c- clearly calls back mm-hmm. yeah. his, his vocation. <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting because it's like, yeah, we mentioned before the way that he was um, orienting self- himself to the surroundings with all the ellipses was very like Captain Kirk dialogue. And this is also seems like Captain Kirk dialogue because of like the redundancy and hesitancy sometimes. But it, it also is like this kind of funny build where it's also him being confused. And to be it pointed to like how Kirk's dialogue and the idea of being confused actually kind of work together fairly well. Mm-hmm. But I like how he built to to this because he is kind of slowly getting his identity together as this time goes on. And this is significant because it's him calling for Spock. Yes. yes. And, you know, readers have commented on the Kirk-Spock subtext in this story, which some people found... I mean, you know... Uh, yeah, to some extent, people will always comment on Kirk-Spock subtext in, in any story. But also it is one where their relationship is portrayed as um, 
extremely, you know, pivotal, like the most important relationship in each of the other person's life. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it seems to be portrayed that way in many instances in the original series. Yeah. yeah. Which I think stays true to it. So. And so after that fairly extensive first part, like that's a, I don't know, it must be almost a fifth of the story, right? Uh, that first part. It's story? quite long. Yeah. It looks like maybe a sixth, sixth, sixth. or seventh. Okay. Yeah. But it's a pretty decent chunk to start out, out with. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's our transition to shifting over to Spock. Up until that, I, you know, you could think, like, is this story going to be about how, like, Star Trek isn't real and, like, it's all just in Kirk's <laughs> head and he's, like, a, you know, in an asylum. But no, Star Trek is extremely real. Uh, it's the most real thing. Whew, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and so we switch over to Spock in the future present, depending on whose perspective you're in. We'll go with future present. Future present. <laughs> future present tense is... Um, no, not, not a, a tense. Not an extant no. tense. tense. <laughs> I'm trying to construct it in my head. <laughs> All right. So some stuff has go- been going on on the Enterprise. Remember how? Mm-hmm. Remember how Kirk has been there for six months in that you know asylum or wherever he's in hospital. Mm-hmm. It's been like that long in on the Enterprise also. As a matter of fact, when we switch over to the Spock perspective here in this section of the story, it has been a year, okay. and it is the anniversary of the disappearance of Captain Kirk. So I think that is like a six-month skip because the implication is that time's passing yes. yeah. equally for both of them, right? Yeah. Kind of bizarre, actually. <laughs> But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's time travel, so like... I yeah. think, yeah, we're pretty clear that there was time travel, but yeah, so time's passing equally. It actually sets a good scene, because it the implies... The scene's really good. Well, I mean, what I was going to say, like, more abstractly, is that time passing equally for both of them enforces the emotions that are happening here. Kirk's calling for Spock, and we immediately get Spock, and you're right, a very good scene... Um, talking to McCoy about Kirk's disappearance. Yes, McCoy strides in. They don't make this clear immediately, but it becomes clear by the end that Spock's captaining the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. McCoy comes in, he's like, do you know what day it is? And they have this back and forth. The day is, it's been a year since Captain Kirk's disappearance. Mm -hmm. And McCoy wants there to be like a memorial, like a funeral. Mm -hmm. And Spock's position is, Oh, we don't. It would be illogical to assume that he's dead, right? And actually, it's really funny because, like, what he specifically says is to serve what purpose, Doctor? <laughs> a memorial service is to honor someone who is dead. We do not know that James Kirk is dead. Spock added coldly, and it's like, oh man, you're in such bad denial, dude. That is certainly McCoy's perspective, either that he's in denial yeah. and or that he just, like, doesn't give a shit about, you know, right. Kirk. Well, It's the typical McCoy-Spock back yeah. and forth where McCoy's like, you don't even know that it's the anniversary. And he's like, I know it down to the minute, basically. <laughs> yeah. And he's saying, well, you don't care about how the rest of the crew feels, basically, and we need to say goodbye. And he says, I don't think that's necessary we don't have enough evidence to say the captain's dead but fine do your thing i'm just not going to attend 
<laughs> I yeah. don't think he's dead. <laughs> well, that's it's why the scene lot. is so it's good. So it's so good. Yeah. It's really mm-hmm. good McCoy Spock. Yeah. Well, usually you have Kirk as a moderating influence there, mm-hmm. and you don't. No. Which is so they can just kind of get totally frustrated or like not like <laughs> each other, you know? Yeah, and this scene couldn't have been, you know, between you. Know, it just had to be these two people at this point in time, and it was like. I don't know, it's almost like the author just really wanted to see what this would happen like because they did a great job. And I love that as soon as Spock added coldly, two paragraphs later, three paragraphs later, we get McCoy flared. Damn you, Spock, you don't want him found. You have what you always wanted. You're captain of the Enterprise now. Like, of course the reader is like, no, Spock doesn't want that. Of course course he cares. But McCoy flaring his temper that way is so in character that you just see this very vividly enacted i think what grandma trek did here very well was show that these two people are both very much in the same place emotionally Mm -hmm. but going at coming at it from their typical you know emotion first logic first ways and how they they bounce off of each other without kirk there and the wonderful the like coldly and the flare the hot and cold language Mm -hmm. like perfect Mm -hmm. juxtaposition for that i'm getting too excited let me me cool down (laughs) let's be more logical here yes getting too human sorry (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't want to be too human uh and after that you know Spock goes into a bit of a, you know, flashback exposition reverie thing. But basically what happened is that Kirk went down to a plant for shore leave and was last seen getting into, like, a car with some pretty lady and Mm -hmm. then disappeared. And another guy. Yeah, and a guy. Okay, well, I mean, that also fits Kirk, yes. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, like, Chekhov saw him last, you know, doing that, and then he was just never seen again. Right. And they spent a long time hanging out and investigating and trying to look for him, find traces of him, and they did not. And eventually, Starfleet just sort of ordered them to stop. Mm -hmm. The key was, I think, that this planet was, I think it was stated to be an an open planet. And also near the Klingon Empire as well. Right. Yeah. Leaving leaving, uh, Klingon, you know, interference with Kirk as a possibility. And so... Enterprise, like, 10 days into their search, just, you know, tells Commander Spock, you know, Spock currently being in command, that, like, they can't just let the Enterprise be sitting there. It's one of their, I don't know how many of these ships are there, like, not many. It's one of their best assets, and Mm -hmm. they need it actually in service. And so he's being promoted, whether he likes it or not, to, to be the new captain and to go off on its missions and that sort of thing. Which the crew does not react to very well. <laughs> we mostly get, you know, in this flashback again, we get more McCoy, where he's like, you're just going to leave here without finding out what happened to Jim? Doctor, I have my orders. So what? You can't do this, Spock. And, you know, he protests more, and Spock's just like, that will be all, Doctor McCoy. It's mostly them, but you also have, like, a moment where he tells Sulu to take them out of orbit, and, you know, Sulu just is like, but, Mr. Spock... He said, looking back at the Vulcan behind him. Sulu had never, to anyone's recollection, questioned a direct order from Spock before. Uhura gasped. She could feel the tension on the bridge. All heads turned toward the two figures, whose eyes were locked, the alien Vulcan and the old Earth Oriental. 
races that had been set apart in their own times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Spock just has to pull rank. He says, Lieutenant Sulu, if you do not comply with my order immediately, I will have you relieved of duty, Spock said coldly. And, you know, Sulu flushes and he takes him out of there. And so, like, that's the kind of heavy-handed way that Spock's going to be running things. Yeah, well, it's right. kind of, it is a little strange. Like, I don't remember original series, like, as well as, you know, the later series, but, like, if you get a direct order, like, you follow it. You're in Starfleet. Like, mm-hmm. that's what you do. So the fact that they're all questioning the fact that Spock is following his orders is kind of, or at least questioning in their heads, is kind well, of strange, It's also reflective of how much everyone cares about Kirk. Right, it like, totally they would, is. They would yeah. not question other orders, but this kind of, this like, one, we're, yeah. we're leaving Kirk behind, we're going off. And the two sentences here that are key for me are, they did what was required of them most efficiently, but no more. The Enterprise mm-hmm. was no longer a happy ship. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really powerful line. Like, that stuck with me. Because um, it kind of sets, it's a really simple line that mm-hmm. sets the entire tone for what happens next. Because, of course, Kirk's disappearance would be distressing, but you can also imagine people moving on and having a cohesive ship that still runs with Spock in the lead. But you get everything from that line that says, no, they never let it go. They, they continue to be distressed and unhappy. So after that flashback, we jump back to it, it having been a year since all that. And there's kind of this poignant, like, McCoy introspective where he's thinking, like, when did I accept that Kirk is just dead and not coming back? Because, mm-hmm. like, didn't accept that back at the time, but, you know, it's been a year now and pretty much everyone on board is perfectly, you know, I'm not, like, resigned, I guess, would be the word, you know. Yeah. Has mm-hmm. passed into acceptance in the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it talks about the service that they end up having and that, um, and again, that Spock does not attend. Mm-hmm. Oh, Spock. Yeah, Spock. <laughs> yeah, we're kind of building up to the reason why Spock has been like he is. Well, there's, yeah. I'm, um, I'm not there's sure a lot of stuff that yet, happens, but... but mostly it's kind of relationship building. I feel like we've oh, he... gotten, yeah, we may as well just kind of jump ahead to like what ends up being revealed. Well, only two paragraphs down from the sentence a year past. Mm-hmm. Um, it says this, Leonard, Leonard McCoy couldn't know that on the night that James Kirk had disappeared, Spock had awakened in his quarters, shaking with horror, his mind a whirling torrent of pain and fear. In the midst of it all, he seemed to hear James Kirk screaming to him for help. The feelings and sensations were identical with those he'd experienced long ago on the neutral planet of Organia, when he'd been subjected to the agony of the Klingon mind sifter. That time, his powerful Vulcan mind had been able to withstand the torment, and he'd suffered no permanent damage from the experience, except for the memories. However, if James Kirk, or any other human, had been subjected to even the limited amount of exposure he'd endured, the consequences would have been devastating. Mm -hmm. So he's having some kind of, you could say vision, you could say psychic link. Well... Immediately after, it says anyone other than Spock would have said it was a nightmare, but Spock knew better. He knew James Kirk had been taken by the Klingons. He like so he like knew mm-hmm. you know yeah. immediately. And the deal is that they used this mind sifter, which is an established you know probably appears in one episode and never again original series thing. Um, 
to get the information about how to travel back in time from Kirk. And that that just involves going to like that planet with the city on the edge of forever episode, right? Like that famous mm-hmm. one written by Harlan Ellison. Mm-hmm. And but anyway, uh, a, and the Klingon who did this is like reoccurring Klingon guest star. What's his name? Core. Um, Core, I believe. And you know maybe a couple others, whatever. And he, eventually, Spock, not Spock, Kirk had been dumped in the past. There's this thing going on in the past. And I don't think we need to go into granular detail, but there's this thing going on where when they took all the information about, you know, Starfleet and everything that he knew from his mind, like the the kind of psychic trauma was linked to his own name. I think they deliberately did that is the Somehow. implication. Mm-hmm. And so like he can't hear his like the rank of captain or like his name without kind of regressing or, you know, revisiting that trauma. I f- yeah, I feel like they imply that it, his the the regression into the horror and pain of his experience with the mind sifter happens successively like if he hears captain he he has an episode if he hears uh captain james t kirk he completely mm-hmm. regresses back into his uh crazed state post mind sifter and we get some of that you know back and forth with him and nurse um what's her name jan jan nurse jan but the main plot breakthrough is that just through complete luck, which is totally appropriate to a Star Trek original series plot, Chekhov is reading an old history book, you know, at, on a viewer. It says, he'd been studying some old Earth history lately. Captain Spock had criticized him once too often about his faulty old Russian history, and he was going back to the old records to see who was right. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is kind of funny, just as a callback to those jokes that they used yeah. to do. I think the old jokes... Yeah. I think the Chekhov jokes are not nearly as funny as the Klingon saying that Shakespeare is originally Klingon, but you know. <laughs> yeah. I, <sighs> Actually, I have nothing to say about that. <laughs> You're right. Not as funny. But anyway, he just happens to see in an old history book a photo, and. <sighs> okay. The picture depicted a group of men looking at an old piece of military equipment. A man dressed in an old-style uniform was pointing out details, and a group of men was looking on. At one side, but clearly visible, were two men, men with dark, bearded faces. And they recognized them as Klingons. Oh, Captain Koloth and his aide Korax. Like, it's just total, complete, sheer, random happenstance coincidence. Yeah, this is kind of funny, because... This falls on the heels of Nurse Hamlin Jan, like, having, you know, in the past where Kirk is, because they've already revealed it's, like, in the 50s in a mental hospital. Right. Right. Having, like, a a newspaper article run on him to hopefully find some contacts for him. Oh, yeah, that's right. You would think that that's that's the photo they would have seen. But no. And but actually, in the adaptation episode, that is the photo they see. So I thought that was a good adaptation. The yeah. you know the the visual streamlines episode. it a bit. But that but article, anyway, yeah, that mm-hmm. article and you know a couple of photos do come into play later into in the fanfic yes, itself. Yes, they do. Um, but, but that's not the one that he sees initially. And I don't know why this photo is like like it just seems. Yeah, it and, seems a little out of nowhere. And Chekhov is definitely, like, the key to everything. Yeah. I feel like he's the last person to see Kirk before oh, his yeah. disappearance. And he really blames himself for that, too. He does. He's He randomly finds this random photo. 
Even though he was researching Russian history, was apparently this... he he had done that, and he was moving on to American uh, history. Okay, I guess. I guess he, he had he'd read all of Russian history. It, you know? Of course, um, yeah, easy, easy read. He had already looked at every existing photo from Russia. <laughs> he was working on every photo from America. Maybe. Um, I like yeah. that he was specially attuned to seeing these things, though, because he was so fixated on like anything that might have happened to Kirk. But I don't like the fact that how would he think this was something that happened to Kirk because all he sees is Klingons. Well, it's it's Spock who makes the connection once he brings it oh, to Oh, right. Him, yeah, I, I think That's it's right. stated at some point that why did, the Federation yeah. has the ability to travel in time, but not the Klingons. Yeah, it's um, not... I guess in the as adaptation far as episode, it's I the see. city at the edge of forever place. But here it's not clear like how they... What time travel knowledge... Like, I, I'll bet... The Enterprise jury rigged something to go back in time at some point in the original series, right? They've got to have done that. Oh yeah, yeah, they they have to. So well, yeah, they they have yeah they have access to that portal. That's their main thing, right? That part of the plot is a little fuzzy, especially about like what happens to the Klingons when they go in the past. You would also think that they would need to go back in time and deal with those two, but Mm -hmm. still, they they basically like ran into some trouble and like just you know failed and like I don't know got they left and then somehow like didn't make it back. Like they got, they got, yeah, and like the ship itself didn't return to its own time. I don't know. This fanfic is clearly more interested in emotions than it is in like specifically those details. Not that it does a bad job. And speaking of emotions, yes, go on. No, no, uh, yeah, just two. We're about halfway through, but we got to keep moving. Speaking of emotions, that means that you know Spock gets to share, like, yeah, I, I had this you know mental connection that gave me like the feeling that James Kirk had been like captured and tortured by the Klingons, and you know. And he has this reconciliation with McCoy, who's like, well, like, why didn't you tell us? And why have you just been, like, carrying this for the last year, like, this knowledge? <laughs> and Spock's like, you would not have believed me, Doctor. Mm-hmm. And McCoy's like, yeah, that's fair. But then McCoy also is like, how could you have been so strong to, you know, just suffer by yourself with this knowledge and, you know, not be able to act on it and just fulfill your duty and that sort of thing? <laughs> and he says, I'm a Vulcan, which means, like... I'm not a weak human <laughs> like you. Yeah. I'm just better Always. than you. Yeah. yeah. Of course. <laughs> but, you know, it's also supposed to emphasize, like, how how much this has been an ordeal emotionally and, you know, mentally for Spock also, I think. Yes. And, you know, they're like, well, we're going to go back in the past and rescue him, but, you know, he might not be in... He might not be alive, even though he went back to the past. He mm-hmm. might... We might wish that he was not alive. He might not be the Kirk that we knew. Right. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Kirk and Nurse Jan are growing closer. Yeah. It's extremely unprofessional. Typical. She knows yeah. It. Typical That's, Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was going to say about the emotional thing in the story is it's a lot about Nurse Hamlin's feelings for Jim and blah, blah, blah. And in another instance of happenstance, you know, she when she learns that his name is James, she calls him Jimmy, which apparently is how they explain his mental recovery. Like, being called Jimmy sends him back into an, Close to his, like, an infantile state. By, right. right. And, then, and he can build his memories from there. Oh, I Well, thought, also without his name re-triggering. Yeah, you know, I thought right. that was the only implication is that if he got called by his real, or his captain name. That, well, yeah. Anyway. It says it yeah. somewhere. I can't find Something it. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. And, and like you said, she had set up, you know, this kind of once he, a little bit more comes out and like 
everyone seems to understand that, oh, so you, you were in the Navy, right? He's like, yes, I captained a ship, definitely did that. <laughs> like, then they try, you know, sending a, doing a picture in the newspaper and like, anyone know this man sort of thing, but mm-hmm. it doesn't go well. Nothing too much comes of that. Yeah. Well, and he ends up finally telling them his full name oh, yeah, and but rank, but it, it causes him yeah, to request. Him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically it's the mission back in time. And McCoy goes, and Chekhov goes. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, the explanation for Chekhov going back is kind of like, well, you deserve it because, you know, you were the one who found this thing. It's like, well, that was sheer luck, but okay, you you can go back, Chekhov, that's fine. They also say the other officers, like Scotty and everybody, were needed aboard the ship to keep it running, which is, I (laughs) guess, fair. Chekhov, you're you're useless, who cares? (laughs) We'll just send you back in time. Yeah, that's funny, and it's funny because Spock doesn't go, and the the explanation is not because he's the captain of the ship. The explanation is they couldn't explain his ears away as a physical deformity like, like they the did last, last time. time. They went back in time, and I'm like, first of all, why not? <laughs> you did and last secondly, time. you could put on a hat. Definitely going to be different people. You yeah, put on yeah. a hat. A the, headband? <laughs> like you did in the Star Trek 4, but yeah. Like Earmuffs. Yeah. Anything, really. But yeah, they actually get permission to send the whole Enterprise back in time, and it's just, you know, kind of stealth, like outside of, you know, Earth's orbit or whatever. Um, and and send those two down. And it's, on the one hand, vaguely interesting, because it's kind of cool. You know, it's like, oh yeah, we're back in time. It's like, oh, so primitive. Or, you know, we've got to explain our what we're doing here and but on the other hand like it's not really very eventful i mean Mm -hmm. it goes basically smoothly yeah the main thing is like mccoy at one point you know goes in and to this facility where kirk is and he's like well i'm a doctor and like i'm here to you know see about this guy and they have a backstory crafted up where like he he's like oh yeah i'm running like a small private clinic you know for well and that's that's before they get there that's another happenstance thing right so Mm -hmm. they're about to give up and Chekhov's like, I I like this old barbershop thing. This is the one thing I want to do oh, in the past. Right. So we're going to go yeah. in and get our hair oh, cut. Oh, yeah. And he finds he finally finds the, the actual article. article with Kirk's picture in it, and that's how they Another know where to go. Total like, luck, yeah. Chekhov yeah. is definitely like a coincidence magnet. Like. He's, he's like the linchpin <laughs> of the whole thing, <laughs> somehow. <laughs> kind of bizarre. Like, he just keeps finding random articles in newspapers, and that ties everything together. <laughs> Read, kids. Stay in, yeah, stay in school. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Keep reading newspapers from the past. Yeah. You never know how useful that might be. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, once they get there, it, it goes basically smoothly like bluffing their way past. It doesn't have to be like a set piece action scene or anything like that. And, you know, they find Kirk and he's still, you know, in like he's recovered some from the very, very beginning of the fanfic. But like that's still in not very good shape. Well, yeah, I guess after his regression, his only friend, this nurse, goes on vacation for a month. Which, oh, and yeah. then comes back literally the same day that McCoy and Chekhov yeah. find out where he is and go to get him. Yeah, that's fine. And he's in poor condition. I don't know why that decision was made necessarily, just to make in him the look story more ragged. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't understand yeah. what the decision-making was behind that. That, that was the hard part for me, is it's like, I can in a star trek episode believe the coincidence that she returns on the same day honestly i don't believe the part where after he had this major regression she took a vacation yes considering that's... how much she cares about him exactly yeah yeah 
Um, but the real thing here emotionally is Jan needing to part with Kirk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, they get permission. McCoy, you know, they're like, oh, we're taking him out, you know, to this private clinic because, like, I don't know, we're, like, he escaped distant, and he's whatever. Yeah. He's, like, yeah. one of ours. And they're like, fine, sure. Like, we're not, we're not going to get anywhere with him anyway. Mm-hmm. And so Nurse Jan is like, oh, like, where are you going? He's like, uh, it's a small place. You've probably never heard of it. She's it's, like, can I, can I, like, be in touch with him? They're like, uh, no. He's like, it's in my old hometown of Georgia. It's really small. Nobody knows it. Uh, yeah. And eventually she's like, Look, can I just, like, quit and come help take care of him at your place? Mm-hmm. Like, they accidentally tell her that they're from space. Well, like, that's what I remember. When she keeps pushing it, oh, yeah, they, it does accidentally yeah, come out. Yeah, it accidentally mm-hmm. comes out that they're from outer space. Like, I don't remember exactly how it happens, <laughs> but it's really funny. It's like somebody, like, McCoy just slips up or something. Like, yeah, well, he keeps slipping up. He, he... Um, uses some of his advanced medical technology oh, to right. help Kirk in right. in the immediate moment, you know, when he's having a regression, hearing his name and all this sort of thing. And she notices, obviously. <laughs> oh, yeah. And <laughs> it just it. kind of goes from there. Here's where it goes. She's saying, like, yeah, take me with you. And he's like, you're, you're like in love with him, aren't you? She's like, yes. Can I, like, come help take care of him? Just I only wish I could, weird. McCoy said honestly. But... I'll go anywhere, travel any distance, please. Her voice was rising. She seemed to be getting a little hysterical. McCoy stood and moved over to sit on the edge of the bed. Jim moved restlessly. Miss Hamlin, you could never travel far enough to get where we're going. I'm sorry, it's impossible. And, but then Jim is like, Jim, Kirk. Kirk, you know, starts ranting about, like, the Klingons. Like, help me, Spock, the Klingons, they'll take over Earth, they'll change history. Mm -hmm. And McCoy's like, damn, those Klingon monsters. As soon as we get back in space, I'll... He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oops. Oh, whoops. So you know McCoy. <laughs> you know what? A Klingon wouldn't have made that mistake. Uh, I actually meant to say um, a Vulcan wouldn't have made that mistake. I don't know why I went to Klingon. Probably they wouldn't either. A Klingon probably. A yeah. Klingon would have just, like, murdered everyone he'd, here. They, yeah, he would have been like, we're going to go up to space. Dang it. And just <laughs> killed her. <laughs> a, a Vulcan would not have made this mistake. No. Clearly, no. they should have sent down the captain. <laughs> well, which is what happens in the fan film. So, <laughs> well, no, McCoy still goes down, but it's uh, Spock instead of Chekhov. Well, once anyway, the, once the space thing is out, you know, she's eventually McCoy has to be like, oh, look, we'll tell you all about it. But like, not here. Let's go out to this like yeah. tree in the yard. They go to a secluded uh, place where they can be beamed up. And they tell her the story. Well, beam down also because they end up beaming down Spock. Because remember, the Enterprise is Mm -hmm. entirely back in the past at the moment. Mm -hmm. And they send down Spock to kind of like convince, um, to connect with Kirk and like convince him like everything's okay. Yeah. That sort of thing. Because initially his mind's still cloudy. He doesn't want to leave. And he's really clinging to Nurse Hamlin as like Mm -hmm. the only one who understands him. Mm -hmm. So they need someone else that he's emotionally... Yeah. Connected it's to. It's like to. super inappropriate because she's totally in love with him and he's totally dependent on her, but whatever. <laughs> Which is why they make the right decision and yes. tell her, we're going to erase your memory. Well, they don't tell her. <laughs> That's true. Oh, yes, they, they, they do. do. They, Never mind, they do tell her that. They they do, but they, they basically say you have to stay here. Um, you can't come with him because you he doesn't love you. Right. Spock yeah. just says it in his typical Vulcan way. He's like, he doesn't love you. Which she should know. Like, yeah, she should. Like, Ben in his, uh, I don't know how to put Unlike this. Unlike in yes. the 
however, unlike in the uh, fan-made film, she is not a doctor. Mm-hmm. She does not have training. She is a nurse. So nurses don't there's have training. Extinction. They just get thrown into this with she no doesn't training have at all, this, right? She doesn't have the psychiatric training okay. that you would expect from a doctor and the professionalism you would expect from a doctor in this instance. Yeah. She's also a nurse in like 1958 or something. Right, so exactly. Yeah, she has even less training than we would expect from a nurse now. And nurses have an incredible amount of training now. They but. do, they do. And so, yeah, Spock has this very real conversation where like um, she's like, yeah, does it occur to you that Jim probably does not love you? She winced. That had hurt. He, he likes me. He says he doesn't want me to leave him. That is not James T. Kirk talking, Miss Hamlin. That is a voice from a sick mind, an incredibly hurt and tortured mind, speaking. You have been kind to him. You have tended and cared for him. From what I understand, you are unusual in that you care for your patients. This is to your credit. If James Kirk recovers, and I have reason to believe that he will, he will be ever grateful to you, but would gratitude be enough? He might come to resent you, for he would be responsible for you, a woman out of touch with her own reality. Do you understand? If you really love him, you must give him up. You must forget James Kirk and all that you have learned about him, about us, and about the future. And, like, it's, you know, yeah, very direct, but all accurate, I think. Mm-hmm. And all fair. Yeah. yeah. And so the choice they give her is, do you want to forget that you even had a patient named Jimmy here or do you just want to forget about like the space stuff and keep the memory of this patient and the relationship you had the completely inappropriate relationship you had with him (laughs) like nothing about the relationship let's be clear was like actually inappropriate it was more like unprofessional well she was supportive and caring of him she never crossed that boundary they do in this in this uh fanfic they don't i think in the the uh, video they but kiss in the video they kiss. i thought that they they kiss didn't which i this. feel is the boundary right <laughs> so. oh, yeah i thought that only happened in the film no oh i missed that in this okay yeah yeah no, that's totally mm-hmm. inappropriate never mind <laughs> and uh. <laughs> she keeps her jimmy memories and you know spock does a mind meld to fix that whole situation so and then they go back into the future present, as opposed to the past present. <laughs> the future. It's just the future. Um, and, you know, they they don't dwell on it too long, but they, they have it take a long time for Kirk to recover, even with, you know, Starfleet-type uh, technology, mm-hmm. uh, Federation technology, I should say, mm-hmm. which is, you know, tends to be... <laughs> as the story describes, it's like, oh, no, we can fix most anything wrong with most minds generally. Like, we don't, there's not so much of a need for, like, even institutionalized, you know, mental health care because mm-hmm. we just kind of deal with it. Otherwise, we have a planet. That's yeah, where they like go. one planet, right? Apparently. Yeah. Which apparently showed up in some episode, right? I guess. Maybe. I don't recall. I don't know. And so there's the whole treatment of Kirk, which you kind of see in the background, and eventually he's able to return you know and everyone's yeah. super excited that there's he's back. this great scene where they're like the captain's beaming back aboard the enterprise and he has a diplomatic something sort of i don't know professional diplomatic god boy or something someone's accompanying him it's like ceremonial something and everyone's like why is why coming back yeah why is spock coming pomp back and circumstance with? yeah but and that's then, not the captain the captain is Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk. And then it goes, and, and everybody's really excited. And then it goes like, um, I think it's 
McCoy, who's talking to Spock, and is like, are you unhappy with being demoted? And he's like, no, actually, I only ever assumed command under the idea that when Kirk came back, he would take command. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he said, like, it's really cute. He says, like, that. those are my conditions to Starfleet. I said, yes. look, I'll be the acting captain, but I'm not going to be, like, promoted. I'm going to be demoted back again. Or not, not demoted. It's only acting captain until Kirk is back. Right. Yeah. The way it goes, the dialogue is, I was not demoted, Doctor, because I was never really promoted. But but you were the captain. You were the stripes. The title was yours. And name only, Doctor. That was the understanding in which I took over the command of the Enterprise until the day Jim came back. And McCoy's like, but you were captain for almost two years. <laughs> Spock says, if I were a human, I would say that I disliked it for two years, Doctor. <laughs> Aww. And then, you know, it's very cute, like... Kirk and Spock have their emotional moments and, you know, mm-hmm. um, yes, Kirk says, oh yeah, Commodore Mendez told me how you practically begged, let, begged him to let, Spock begged his superior officer to let him resign so he could go look for Kirk full time. Yeah. Yes. And his, his resignation was not accepted. And so he, hits he really me in the had field. that duty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Spock starts to turn green because, of course, he has copper blood, so he blushes green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Kirk's like, you're embarrassed. And he's like, sir, embarrassment is a human emotion. <laughs> <laughs> and it, Kirk has this little speech, too. When Sandy began to filter back to me, finally, in that place I was in, I remember thinking of you, Spock. It was one of the first realities I remember. Somewhere there was a, a friend I called Spock. Where I didn't know, but somewhere. Then, and this is, remember our first original series fanfic, Tori, which was, um, oh yeah, what's it called? Uh, the, you mean our our first one or our first original series? The, first original the, the series, Kirk yes. One. Uh, the what's Kirk the title? Spock what's one. the actual title of that? Uh, the Hurt Comfort Complex. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> That's the, the, the subtitle. The um, subtitle is the end of the Hurt Comfort Syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. This was referred to in some of the like period fan reviews that I read as a Hurt Comfort fanfic. Because it's uh, one of those ones where, oh, once yes. Kirk and or Spock have gone through incredibly like scarring, like dangerous, near death, or like otherwise traumatic circumstances, then they can have a moment of truly speaking to each other about how much they yeah. care for each other. And then, you know, you just know that next week they're going to never mention this again. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the Hurt Comfort pattern, is mm-hmm. that like... Just to get that emotional intimacy for a moment, you need to have, like, these huge, like, life-threatening circumstances surrounding it. And Kirk had to go through a lot in Mm -hmm. this. Oh, yeah, that is a lot. Like, honestly, if I, you know, if, if I had a really big complaint, it would be that Kirk... We just went, like, through too much in this fanfic. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's not a real complaint, but it was intense. Yeah. Two years is a long time. Yeah. And it's just, every time it was, like, Hamlin, Hamlin loving him and him suffering. And, like, over and over again, getting better and then suffering. It was, mm-hmm. it was hard to read that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as, like, plot points go, not a lot happens, to be honest. So I feel like it was very much what you were describing. Like, it's a very emotional story. You know, there's a lot of hurt, and then there's healing, and Mm -hmm. then the end. Yeah. Good, in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty much the shape of the story. So I think we can talk about the adaptation, because I think it was really interesting. 
even though it's not very retro, it's not that old. <laughs> no. It's from what, like 2000 and what was it? 14. 12, 14. Yeah. 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 Uh, but that's okay. Cause it was retro style. Right. So they, the film, the filmed original series episode style adaptation, it's a little more than an hour long, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's not how long original series episodes were, is it? I feel like they were mm. half an hour, weren't they? Am I wrong? Uh, no. That's were they what I an remember. hour? I, um, they definitely I weren't. We could look they definitely up. weren't an hour of running time. I, I no. no, I think they it would were, have been about forty minutes, right. probably. Then, yeah, I thought Next. they were an hour long of airing. Okay, but um, I can look it up. So it's pretty long. Um, but yeah, it's a whole hour. From what I saw, though, it didn't seem like the time was badly spent. Um, one thing it does among the changes that I want to talk about is that it switches back and forth between Kirk and the Enterprise more regularly. Mm-hmm. And so I think that kind of helps the flow of it, honestly. Like, the chunks are fairly long but in both of those senses in the story. Yes. Uh, you have, like, the opening scene with, you know, Kirk, you know, getting kind of dragged out from wherever he was hiding in that building and that sort of thing. But, of course, they've organized it with the cinematography so that you don't see his face until the very end, and that's the dramatic reveal before the opening credit things. Which was very classic Star Trek. It was very cool. Yeah. But right after that opening scene, it's right back over to the Enterprise, whereas it took a lot longer to get mm-hmm. there in the original story. Yes. And the they had to do a lot of things visually in this story that they did kind of through Kirk's mind and Nurse Hanlon's mind in the, the source. So they give you a lot of, like, quick visuals at the start. And... Uh, you were commenting when we were talking about this earlier that just because of the needs of the medium, it was they did a good job taking things that were kind of internal musings in the story and turning them into dialogue scenes that you can film and actually have in an episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, for example, I thought it was cool to kind of show McCoy's mind. They film the memorial service, which is just kind of glossed over in the story. Yeah. And like yes. they have to write all the dialogue for that, and it's all very cool. You heard her get some lines, which she does not in the story. Like, you know, yeah. it's all very well done. And what stuck, one thing that stuck out to me in terms of that was like, very frequently, Nurse Hamlin will mention in the story how the orderlies are just abusive pieces of shit. Mm-hmm. But instead of having that like crop up over and over again, and like it did in the story, there's just one scene and it was super powerful and like where like. Kirk's getting beat up by the orderlies and it only took a couple seconds but it was super intense it was like the first scene too yeah it was pretty early on Mm -hmm. and so it just kind of cemented that you didn't need to come back to it like you did in the story and it it actually felt like it had more weight because it was just this intense visual they made several changes but I think most of them made a lot of sense the nurse is a doctor it's Mm -hmm. good Mm -hmm. which helps you know uh have that dialogue take place as to like how they're treating him in the hospital, you know, what they think is going on with him. Um, I also like uh, the casting's very good, both in terms of performances, like their McCoy and their Spock are both excellent. Mm -hmm. And also I liked the nurse Jan role though in the episode, she's a doctor. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking that in she's, she's, you know, clearly, I don't know. looks like she's mid thirties or something. Mm -hmm. I feel like in original series, that role would have been an ingenue. Definitely. It, it makes me feel better about the relationship that she's not like, I was picturing her distinctly younger than, you know, Kirk in the story because that's kind of how it reads and that's kind of how I would assume that huh. would do it. And she doesn't have to be and she isn't in the yeah. film adaptation. 
I like her character a lot because she has a lot more presence Mm-hmm. In in the filmed version, than I feel like she did in the story version. I agree. She seems more yeah. poised. And you know, going back to my earlier comment, you know, it, it does state that she kind of took the job as a way to make ends meet. She doesn't have a lot of training, just as mm-hmm. as it was back then. You know, mm-hmm. as a person, nurses are well trained people. They're very professional, and they provide a, a service to society that's indispensable. Anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, yeah, it made her character a lot more interesting for me. It streamlined a lot of stuff because we do have the other doctor that causes Jim in the story to, like, regress when he um, says, your doctor, Leonard. Oh, not Leonard McCoy, though. So that was a scene that happened. Mm -hmm. But he only appears for that scene. So instead of having a doctor and a nurse in his treating his care, we can have in a shorter, you know, basically period of time, have Jan come back in more often because she's his attending doctor. Mm -hmm. And you want to build that up anyway. Yeah. So yeah, uh, anything else we want to say about that episode? I, basically, I just thought it was really well done. And also that it, oh, one thing they had to adapt, it's a lot shorter of a time period, which makes it work a lot better as a Star Trek episode than mm. the two years that pass yes. over the course of this. It's about two months, I think. Right. Also, I don't know. I Like I said, only saw the first two thirds of it, but I did not see Chekhov in it at all. <laughs> it's actually... Uh... Oh, sorry. You're, you're going to finish. It's actually a whole year, though. They mentioned that at the end. Oh, really? Okay. In that episode yeah. also? Oh, okay. It, it's just how the time passes a little bit differently, because by the time they go to find him, they mention it's been like 360-something days. So. Okay. And I assume Chekhov does show up eventually. He does, but he's not the one who goes down to the planet Spock is. Okay. And he just wears a hat. That makes more thematic <laughs> sense. Yes. And sense sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to wear just a hat. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely Starfleet... Starfleet protocol for the captain to go down for important missions. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, CJ. Were you going to say something else about Chekhov? Uh, that's about it. I mean, they, they have... Um, so it's usually Sulu and Chekhov um, flying in the bridge. I don't know exactly what mm-hmm. they do specifically, but they have uh, mm-hmm. Native American there instead, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, and yeah. Instead of Chekhov. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember seeing that... That person on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Usually where Chekhov is sitting, but I don't know where Chekhov was. That's in the actually episode. a good point. I'm trying to recall if we saw Chekhov at all, and I don't think we did. So. No, it just got written out. Yeah. Lynchpin anti, no more. <laughs> anti Russian bias in the <laughs> filmmakers there. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, they had um, a lot of strong casting. And I was honestly super surprised at how well the actors could act like the original actors had acted the characters. Like, they weren't trying to do anything different, per se, but they had the spot-on acting of the the originals. Despite the fact that many of them were a lot younger than some of their characters, like the McCoy Mm -hmm. character, Mm -hmm. he had the voice down. Yeah, the performance was great. Yeah, And that's great because it's a really good performance for McCoy like it's a good role you know mm-hmm. this story yeah I especially liked the actor's performance uh, who played Spock mm-hmm. yes that great. too super strong really well. alright so anything else we want to say about the story itself what are our complaints about it I, I, I mean I, I feel like I you know I dug it a little already I don't like this ambiguous portrayal of mental illness is maybe one of the things I haven't said. Mm-hmm. 
And, but I understand that this is the result of the mind sifter creating a trigger for Kirk. So it's not the worst thing. It's it's not like it's pretending to be a real thing. Yeah, but it's also like their excuse is sort of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Like the bad mental health professionals make it so that the mental illnesses appear to be really bizarre. <laughs> and it's like not, ex- I don't know. It has a, an interesting flavor. Uh, I think my main criticism is that it's a little over the top. Like, I don't need to see, you know, the orderlies beat up Kirk over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like, I I'm, I get it, and it's awful, and it's very real for things that happen to people still. It's just, maybe that was too much. And my other criticism was, of course, the relationship between Hanlon and Kirk, because it really is, like... She seems like a really smart person, like mm-hmm. you know, a really self-aware person, a really kind person. How would she not understand that this guy is like not in a state to reciprocate her feelings? Even if she cares for him, wouldn't she self-analyze and say like, you know, he's not really uh, presenting anything to me that would indicate that he could be another supportive partner in this relationship. She Mostly should- I'm just caring for him. She should absolutely know better. <laughs> yeah. Like, what would their relationship be like if he continued to be as he was? She would just always be caring for him. That's not love, this dependency. Mm-hmm. It, it's love in a way, but it's not something that f- is the foundation of a strong relationship, romantic relationship, you know? Right. I feel like it's a Star Trek way of approaching it where it's like, well, you know, the human is passionate and such, and then Spock mm-hmm. gets to tell them what the deal is. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good point, though, because it is kind of pretty original Star Trek in flavor. So. Yeah. It was very true to the original series. Yeah. <laughs> in all of its flaws. Uh, for other flaws for the story, I think we kind of mentioned the plotting is actually kind of clunky, like, in the story. It gets where it's going, but it's not, like, you just kind of have to accept some things or, you know, they wave aside some things. The plot, I feel, gets you just as far as you need to go to be in the moment that's really emotional. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you have another complaint, CJ? Or was uh, that pretty much it? I think the writing was beautiful. Just, you know, plot aside. Yeah, and I hate beautiful writing. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, it, it was clunky in some places. But, uh, yeah, I think other than just, you know, plotting and... and uh, being able to explain what happened to the Klingons and, you know, what was their original plan and did they, why were they thwarted? It didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but uh, Mm -hmm. other than that, I can't really think of anything. I think it it had a mission and it accomplished that mission. A five-year mission. That, well, a two-year mission, I guess, in this instance. Yeah. Um, So it, it, you know... I think the writer had an idea of what they wanted to do and they, and she did it. And well, I think you led into the strengths there really well, where Mm -hmm. it's really about the emotions and the emotions are really good and memorable and not just with, you know, Jan and Kirk or with, you know, Kirk and Spock, but also this kind of reflection of how important Kirk is to the ship and in what ways and how like all the crew members care about him, but they would express that in totally different ways. Like that's very neat. And, you know, and cool to explore. And, yeah, the the tension with, with McCoy and Spock is really well done and, like, really gripping reading. 
Um, all that kind of like character emotion stuff for the most part, I thought was genuinely good. The characterization was spot on. Yeah. Um, yeah, my praise falls in that category of like, it really painted this Star Trek scene and made a lot of the characters' feelings very important, including Chekhov caring about Kirk, you know, which is like, they didn't put every character in, but they were like, we're going to pick on some people who don't, you know, get as much airtime and make everybody's feelings come to the front. And then having that whole memorial idea for Kirk, I like how the feelings propelled the story and there was a parallel between Spock and McCoy's very strong feelings for Kirk and also Chekhov's in a minor sense, and then Hamlin's strong things for Kirk and how the real feelings at the end came from the crew members. Or not that her feelings weren't real, but that his place with the crew was cemented and it was very strong, a very strong ending because of those emotional parallels. And as far as the uh, filmed adaptation goes, I think the only problem I really had with it was its sound quality. I think that's the only part of it that made it seem amateur. The rest was really good, really mm-hmm. well costumed, acted, uh, even lit. Um, they probably could have done better with with uh, making it sound less tinny, but otherwise I thought it was actually really enjoyable to watch. Oh, yeah, the film adaptation is like almost like an episode of original Star Trek. Like, I would highly recommend mm-hmm. watching that. It was really fun. Honestly, I, I didn't finish it, but it's because I ran out of time. Yeah. I was really enjoying it. Yeah. I w- enjoyed it more than I remember enjoying Star Trek original series episodes for the most part. Mm. And I, I don't know. It Do- makes me want to check out the other episodes that this fan group produced also. I think Agreed. the casting changes, though. I remember seeing mention... Yeah, somewhere when I was looking into this, that like, oh, the the McCoy they had for this episode was really, really good. But that's I don't think that's necessarily the McCoy who's there for the whole series or that sort of thing. I will say the the acting was exceptional, but the cinematography and like the just general ad- adapting to the staging felt really like a Star Trek episode, like one of the best ones, you know. So if they continue that quality of filming and and um plotting throughout the others and if they figure out how to use a dual sound system yeah they're gonna be (laughs) there you go (laughs) well there are some episodes yet to release um i don't i don't know if well they said they were like in progress or incomplete so i don't know if that means they are gonna finish them but it'd be exciting yeah so there you go we can speak with authority about this because our sound quality is always perfect (laughs) (laughs) not when tori is recording (laughs) i shouldn't talk too much i'm in just a film student, but yeah. But you're a professional in your own right. Professional critic. <laughs> <laughs> if we pay you, that makes you a professional critic, right? Yeah. But we don't, so you're an amateur. I'm an amateur critic. You can continue. To, <laughs> you can keep playing in the amateur criticism circuit. But to be good. fair, I think documentarians have to be professional critics in some ways, right? Yeah, I suppose so. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the right word? Documentarian? Documentarian. I think I just made that up. I have to be up. paid to make a documentary first. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck to you. Thank you. Well, and thank you again for coming on, CJ. My pleasure. For our last episode before we get Dom back. Mm-hmm. And to usher Dom back in, we're going to be reading a fanfic that I've been meaning to get to for a while because I remember reading it and it stuck in my mind from many a year ago. This story is... 
some, you know, hard sci-fi after kind of the, you know, fuzziness of the time travel and stuff in this. It's going to be Ghostbusters and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers crossover. <laughs> well, that's really... how we're getting Dom back. <laughs> I was going to be some sort of net or apparatus. Yeah, it needs to be the Ghostbusters part so that we can trap Dom uh, and contain them in some sort of device here to record <laughs> with us. Anyway, that story is called Reality Check. It's fairly long. It's, you know, a short novel. You can find a link there at bit.ly slash rfrreality. As for this, this was episode 61 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Mind Sifter by Shirley S. Mayuski. We're going to go with Mayuski. Grandma Grandma Trek. Trek. Yes. (laughs) That's all the name anybody needs, right? It's probably written on her gravestone. I mean, it might be. I hope so. But hopefully in addition to her real name, not instead of her real name. Right. The intro song is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, please contact us on Twitter at RetroFanfic, Facebook at RetroFanfic. We've got Reddit at Fanfic Retrospective. You can send us an email at RetroFanficRetrospective at gmail.com. I got the whole name in there. You can also leave comments or reviews on whatever podcast service you use. And I think we probably see those. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. And I'm CJ. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. gonna try one more time oh wait i think it might be working now okay i i just pushed all the buttons and pushed them again and now it seems to be working thanks dom <laughs> you needed to hear dom's voice <laughs> yeah i needed to hear your voice says a motto which i guess that's true okay <laughs> well thank you computer don't die as soon as i go off the phone dom still loves you All right, yeah. Just tell it one more time that you love it. Here, I'll hold the phone up to the computer. Okay, I know it's scary, but you're a good computer. Oh, yeah, it looks encouraged. All right, thanks, Tom. Talk to you later. Oh, yeah, much happier computer. Bye.